Hey, everybody. Welcome to my podcast, Ordinary Superheroes. My name is Chevy Sedana, and I am the creator and host of this podcast. As the name suggests, I'm going to share with you all the stories of people that were able to find their inner superhero and unleash their powers to build some of the most successful careers in the world today. However, I won't limit it to strictly people. This podcast will also feature episodes focusing on the history of some of the most successful companies that we are so accustomed to today. This podcast is for everyone that seeks to better themselves in pretty much everything they do in life. This includes entrepreneurs, athletes, musicians, and literally anybody that seeks entertainment and are naturally curious about some of the greatest success stories. I hope people are able to be inspired by this podcast and find their own superhero within them and change the world for the better. If you enjoyed this podcast after listening, please give it a five-star rating, a comment, and share it with as many people as you possibly can. Every action you take will help me a ton. You can connect with me on Instagram at Chevy1203 and or on LinkedIn at Chevy Sedana. I will leave links to everything in the description of this episode. The first episode is about the story of McDonald's. I'm going to share with you all its inception and take you through all the years in between to get to where it is today. Before we get started, this podcast is brought to you by Tax Mobile Canada. Tax Mobile Canada was started by me, Chevy Sedana, to offer people within my community, the Greater Toronto Area, a flexible and low-cost solution to file their taxes and provide other accounting services such as bookkeeping and payroll for small businesses. I was tired of the fees that H&R Block and others charge to their customers in exchange for a low-quality service. I have over four years of experience in the accounting industry and I've completed over a thousand plus tax returns. My services start at only $29.99 and I'm available for my clients year round with a ton of flexibility in the way I provide my services. If you live nearby, you can drop by my office, but if you can't make it, I can come to you. Yes, I offer a mobile service within the GTA where I go to people's residences and complete their tax returns. Heck, you can even complete your taxes through email or over the phone with me if you live outside the GTA or province. All of my services are at a cost that is lower than every competitor in exchange for the value I provide. So visit TaxMobileCanada.com today to book your free consultation and plan ahead of your tax season. That's TaxMobileCanada.com for the most affordable and flexible tax preparation service available in Canada today. When we talk about fast food today, McDonald's is the number one restaurant that comes to my mind. Yes, I know what you're thinking. Look at this sheep, but just hear me out. McDonald's is the world's largest restaurant chain by revenue with almost $23 billion in sales reported in the year 2017. McDonald's sells a wide range of items including hamburgers, fries, salads, breakfast items, desserts, and even coffee. You're probably wondering why I'm stating the obvious, but I couldn't come up with a less cliche way of starting this story. It is my first episode and I just wanted to play it safe. The thing is, I only look creative because I paint sometimes and I wear glasses. But that's another conversation and once you add me on Instagram and if you choose to do so, you'll see what I'm talking about. Spread across 120 countries around the world and located in virtually every suburban neighborhood, the company generates a significant amount of their revenue from rental income as well. McDonald's owns all the land that their stores are built on and franchisees are obligated to pay rent to them. These rents account for one-fifth of their annual sales and the land is valued at an estimated 16 to 18 billion dollars. 
Whether you hate or love what the company stands for, it has been able to build a sustainable and growing business, leaving behind all competitors with its continued innovation and successful operating business model. I am here to give you all the history of this company and how it came to be what it is today. After all, the success of McDonald's wasn't built overnight. McDonald's was founded in the year 1940 in San Bernardino, California, a city known for its beautiful, summer-like, year-round weather. At the time, the city had a population of only 40,000 residents compared to the 210,000 residents it has today. The siblings Richard and Maurice McDonald were two of those residents with hopes and dreams of building a successful business. In the early 1930s, the two siblings struggled to run a movie theater, noticing that the hot dog stand near it would attract traffic consistently. So in 1937, the two brothers opened up a hot dog stand called the Aerodrome in Monrovia. Monrovia is another city in California and is a common destination for many media outlets to film content. The hot dog stand primarily served customers at a local racetrack in the city and did so successfully for three years. To operate on a larger scale, serving more customers in a bigger town, the siblings took out a $5,000 loan from the Bank of America and used that money to open up a restaurant in the city, San Bernardino. In today's economy, that $5,000 loan would be equivalent to over $85,000. The first McDonald's opened on May 15, 1940. It offered 25 items to choose from on the menu, including hamburgers, fries, and milkshakes. The menu items of all other competing restaurants were similar at the time. Restaurants in the 1940s, including McDonald's, would operate through a service known as car hops. You would stop your car at a parking spot and a waiter or waitress would come out of the restaurant to your car to take your order and then serve you. Within its first few years, the restaurant was generating over $40,000 per year, which is equivalent to over $700,000 today. Its customers were primarily young people who chose the location as a spot to hang out at and families would also go there because it was a place to have a cheap yet tasty meal. Despite its early success, the siblings decided to temporarily close down the restaurant in 1948 to redesign and streamline their process. The following changes were made to improve the company's overall efficiency. Number one, the dining area and the car hop service were removed, forcing the customer to order at the front counter and take delivery from there. Number two, the speedy service was introduced where the menu items were reduced and simplified to focus on burgers, french fries, and milkshakes as they were the items that accounted for the largest portion of the company's total sales. The kitchen was redesigned in an assembly line style where meals would be prepared in stages moving along different workstations. This was similar to what was happening in the manufacturing industry with automotives. In addition, the burgers were also pre-cooked and kept warm to serve customers faster. These changes made a drastic improvement to the company's operations and made it reach new heights. McDonald's was now a company which focused on speed, lower prices, and volume. Due to its success, only five years after, McDonald's began franchising. They franchised the store under the brand name McDonald's with the design and layout consistent with their own corporate stores. The first franchise was opened in Phoenix, Arizona. During the initial years of franchising, the famous golden arches on the letter M we are so familiar with today was designed by a renowned artist by the name of Stanley Clark Meston. Richard and Maurice McDonald actually went through three other architects and they finally chose Stanley as their preferred architect because 
He believed that the arch was the ideal way to present the brand, which would garner the most attention and be memorable to its consumers. You know, some people actually argued that the letter M actually looked like a pair of breasts, and that's how it got a lot of attention. But obviously, that's for another conversation. In 1954, one year after the company began franchising its stores, the McDonald brothers met Raymond Albert Kroc, who was at the time selling milkshake mixers to the restaurant. Raymond Kroc was impressed by the simplification of the menu items and efficiency of the McDonald's operations to the extent that he decided to join the company. Having been in countless kitchens, he believed McDonald's could appeal to the mass public. At the time, fast food restaurants were typical hangout spots for motorcycle gangs and teenagers. In his own words, he went on to say, In my experience, hamburger joints are nothing but jukeboxes, payphones, smoking rooms, and guys in leather jackets. I wouldn't take my wife to such a place, and you wouldn't take your wife either. Say no more, Ray. Say no more. He believed that the concept and design of the small chain had the potential to expand across the nation and that McDonald's had a different vision than the rest of the competing restaurants. Ray was able to strike a deal with the McDonald's brothers to use the brand to open up more franchises. Before we go any further with this story, a word from our sponsor. <laughs> I'm just kidding, no one cares about this podcast enough. But back to what I was saying. Before we do go any further, it is important to understand Ray's history prior to this point because he was paramount to the success of McDonald's and his life growing up played an extensive role in getting him that opportunity that would make him one of the most successful businessmen in all of history. Ray was born on October 5, 1902 in Chicago, Illinois. He was of Czech descent and his father had made a substantial amount of money in the early 1920s from speculating on land only to lose all of his fortune in 1929 during the stock market crash. You know, this story kind of reminds me of what's probably going to happen to me in the near future with the way the economy is going and my aggressive style of investing. Ray liked playing baseball and played the piano during most of his early childhood. He always had an entrepreneurial spirit to him and was known for being a great salesman as he started selling lemonade at his lemonade stand at a very young age and he even founded a music store with a bunch of his friends from school growing up. In 1917, the United States was part of World War I. Ray, only 15 years old at the time, lied about his age and joined the Red Cross as an ambulance driver to help with the war. During the same time, another boy by the name of Walt Disney had also enrolled into the Red Cross. I know that name sounds familiar, and you guys are correct in thinking that that is what I'm talking about. Yes, it was Walt Disney. I promise this has relevance in the future, so don't stop listening to my podcast just yet. Shortly after the war ended a year after, Ray got married and had a daughter. To support his family over the next two decades, he ended up working various jobs from selling paper cups to selling houses as a real estate agent, to even playing piano in a band. But eventually, he came back to selling paper cups at the same company he started with after the war had ended. One of the customers of the company he worked at was an ice cream shop. The owner of that company had invented a machine which could make five milkshakes simultaneously called a multi-mixer. Inspired by the potential and value of the product, Ray decided to quit his job in 1939 and become the exclusive distributor for the multi-mixer. Due to his years of selling experience and natural ability, Ray was selling over 9,000 mixers annually just a decade later. 
However, business decreased for his company as people were moving from cities to the suburbs purchasing milkshakes from stores now rather than the ice cream stands. As ice cream stands went out of business, Ray had less customers to sell his milkshake machines to. However, Ray was still getting a significant amount of business from a restaurant in San Bernardino, California called McDonald's. Now that you're all caught up with Ray's life, let's continue from where we left off before. Ray and the McDonald's brothers agreed to be in business together and allow Ray to open up McDonald's franchises. In this deal, Ray would be entitled to 1.9% of the gross sales from all the franchise owners he helped open stores for. This was a very low fee when compared to franchise owners of other competing restaurants at the time. The motive was clear, to open as many stores as possible throughout the country. Of that 1.9%, half a percent would go to the McDonald's brothers and Ray would also have to end up paying for all of his marketing and overhead expenses himself. In 1955, Ray started his company McDonald's System Incorporated and opened his first franchise McDonald's store in Day Plains, Illinois. The store was a success and began generating sales consistently. Ray also helped other people open up McDonald's franchises. Within one year, he was able to open 18 more franchises for the company. And now, as promised before, Ray Kroc even reached out to Walt Disney to discuss an opportunity for opening up a McDonald's franchise at the Disney development. However, the deal never went through due to unknown reasons. However, this didn't slow down Ray's momentum. By early 1957, there were now 40 McDonald's restaurants. Ray Kroc had become an innovator in the fast food industry, making changes that would impact how we perceive and consume fast food today. Ray would only sell single store franchises instead of larger territorial franchises which were common during that time. The purpose of this was to retain control over the uniformity of the stores. McDonald's stores were only located in suburban areas to ensure the stores were exposed to a larger and busier crowd. He went on to market McDonald's as a clean restaurant which was family friendly and affordable. Consistency was so important to Ray as he implemented the same design, concept, layout, and menu items across all the franchise stores. He wanted every customer to have the same experience regardless of which McDonald's store they were in. He even added a play area for kids so families would be more comfortable bringing their children there. These strategies were wildly successful as some franchise owners ended up making more money than Kroc was making from his own McDonald's franchise store. Ray's next step in success came from setting up a real estate company where he would buy the land from which franchisees would then lease it to run their McDonald's stores. So in effect, this is where that rental income that I started off the podcast with comes into play. This gave McDonald's two primary benefits. It let McDonald's choose the location for new stores to be opened and it generated additional income in the form of lease payments from the franchisees. By 1960, just five years after opening up his first franchise store, Ray Kroc separated himself from selling multi-mixers and McDonald's System Incorporation became McDonald's Corporation. By 1961, Ray had over 228 restaurants that he helped open up from which he was sharing profits to the McDonald's brothers, Richard and Maurice. Well, naturally, we know what's going to happen next. In that same year, Ray bought the McDonald's name and the entire ownership from Richard and Maurice for $2.7 million. 
in today's money, that is worth over $22 million. That same year, McDonald's first filed for a trademark on its name with the description Drive-In Restaurant Services and also filed for another trademark on its logo. The Ronald McDonald mascot made its first appearance in their 1963 TV commercials. Ronald McDonald is a clown from the fantasy world McDonaldland and has adventures with his friends Mayor McCheese, the Hamburglar, Grimace, Birdie the Early Bird, and the Fry Kids. Ronald McDonald was a creation of Willard Scott, a local radio personality who played Bozo the Clown on a local TV station in Washington, D.C. From his book, Joy of Living, he mentioned that Bozo the Clown phased out and then McDonald's reached out to him and requested him to create a moniker for their company. This mascot was very successful and portrayed a kid-friendly vibe unlike the scary clowns that we see in movies all the time today. Many people worked in the Ronald McDonald costumes contributing positively to society by visiting children in hospitals and attending charitable events. At the peak of the mascot's presence, there were up to 300 full-time employees working as clowns for McDonald's. During this decade, McDonald's stores expanded throughout the country and even into countries outside the U.S., including Canada and Puerto Rico. To fund this expansion, the company took a major step and went public on the New York Stock Exchange. Each share was initially priced at $22.50. Within the first day, the price had risen to $30 a share, giving investors a 33% gain. And you don't see those types of returns at a bank. Menu items were also changed, and the food we love today from McDonald's, including the filet fish and Big Mac burgers, were also introduced during that time. In today's time, McDonald's sells over 800 million burgers of those two combined on an annual basis. In 1968, McDonald's opened its thousandth restaurant and Fred L. Turner became the company's president and chief administrative officer. Fred began his career in 1956 as a grill operator and was quickly promoted to the vice president of operations within two years. I do also have to mention before people think how unrealistic that sounds, there were only 34 employees working at the company during the time when Fred actually got promoted to the vice president. McDonald's continued its impressive growth into the 1970s and under Fred's oversight, the company was generating over $1 billion in annual sales by 1972. By 1973, Fred had become the CEO of McDonald's and Kroc retired from running the company a year later in 1974. He still stayed on the board of the company for another three years, but his day-to-day -day involvement in the company, those days, well, they were over. During these years, Americans were more on the go than ever before, so McDonald's introduced a breakfast item called the Egg McMuffin that same year. Due to its success, it launched a full breakfast line just five years later. In 1974, the first ever Ronald McDonald House was opened based on Kroc's philosophy of always giving back to the community. The Ronald McDonald House is a non-for-profit corporation which provides support programs directed towards improving the health and well-being of children. There are currently 366 Ronald McDonald houses spread across 42 countries today. These houses primarily provide a living space for families to stay in nearby hospitals where their children are being treated. There are also over 50 Ronald McDonald mobile care units spread across nine countries providing health care services in their own neighborhoods at no additional cost. In Australia, they also have a learning program which provides tutoring and educational support to children that have had to take time off of school due to illnesses. Back to the 1970s. 
The company expanded throughout the world and opened up stores in Japan, China, Switzerland, Australia, and many more. In 1975, the drive-through service was introduced where customers would be able to place orders for their meals without leaving their car. This service gave Americans a fast, convenient way to a quick meal. The company's goal was to provide service in 50 seconds or less. Little did they know, drive-through sales were exactly what customers were looking for as this service eventually accounted for more than half of McDonald's system-wide sales years after. And in 1978, McDonald's now had over 5,000 restaurants worldwide. In the early 1980s, aggressive ad campaigns were ran by all major fast food restaurants such as Burger King and Wendy's. However, McDonald's would still outsell the competition due to its global presence. McDonald's had opened its 6,000 store in 1980, just two years after its 5,000 store. There were also many additions to the menu including their world-famous chicken nuggets and salads. Although the business grew exponentially, this decade also brought along with it some dark times. On January 14, 1984, Ray Kroc, the man responsible for making McDonald's the number one fast food restaurant in the world, passed away due to heart failure at the age of 81. After his retirement in 1974, he got back into baseball and purchased himself the San Diego Padre team, which he owned up until his death. He also worked more closely with his own charitable foundation after retirement to support research, treatment, and education about various harmful medical conditions. It was also notably responsible for establishing the Ronald McDonald House. His personal worth for McDonald's was estimated to be around $600 million. More valuable than that, however, were the countless people he inspired throughout the world to never give up on their dreams and to be persistent. He was included in Time Magazine's Time 100, the most important people of the century. One of his most famous quotes was that luck is a dividend of sweat. The more you sweat, the luckier you get. So rest in peace to a great man. Other negative news included the 1984 shooting where James Huberty killed 21 people inside a McDonald's in San Diego, California, and the 1987 aircraft that crashed into a McDonald's in Germany, killing 14 people. I mean, despite those horrific incidents and also having a new CEO appointed, McDonald's continued to expand its global presence, opening up its first stores in Korea, Istanbul, Serbia, Philippines, Mexico, Malaysia, Scotland, and Taiwan. In 1988, McDonald's had now opened its 10,000th location. In the 1990s, McDonald's started the McRecycle program, which would work with the U.S. Environmental Defense Fund to reduce waste and commit to buy back at least a hundred million worth of recycled products annually for use in their restaurants. Now, this decade saw greater expansion internationally, giving McDonald's an even larger worldwide presence. Within a couple of years, U.S. sales only accounted for 51% of the company's total sales. However, things didn't seem all great. A series of marketing blunders landed McDonald's struggling to meet their expectations. They included the introduction of the deluxe sandwiches and 55 cents Big Mac burgers. I mean, although they sound appealing, the marketing for the deluxe sandwich never really caught on with the public and the 55 cent Big Macs were confusing because it would only be valid for a purchase with a combo. So really they weren't 55 cents. Consumers would really have to spend a little bit more than 55 cents in order to benefit from that deal. As a result of these events, McDonald's cut its ties with its longtime ad partner, Leo Burnett. 
At one point in the 1990s, McDonald's even sold fajitas, pastas, and even pizzas. All of those menu items were proven failures and were discontinued. McDonald's slowed down its expansion in the U.S. and opened only 400 stores in 1997. Now, this may seem like a lot of stores, but compared to 1995, um, they ended up opening 1,130 stores. Although this decade was full of varying activity for McDonald's, they were still able to adapt and get past most of their hurdles. Following the removal of their old ad partner, their campaigns in 1996 and 1997 with their new ad partner, DDB Needham, proved to be extremely successful. McDonald's were giving teeny beanie toys as additions to buying their Happy Meal combos to children. The toys were miniature beanie plush toys that came in various different animals. Their popularity at McDonald's were so huge that fights would break out at the restaurants. There was also an incident where a McDonald's employee ended up stealing a whole set of them. The value of these products actually were worth a lot more on the outside market. They were worth more than the actual Happy Meals themselves. So there was an incentive for people to fight over them or steal them. And they were selling like hot cakes. There's also one more story to mention during this decade. And that is the story with Disney. The relationship was not over as of yet. Walt Disney and Ray Kroc could not come to terms with opening up a McDonald's in the Disney development in the past. But in 1998, McDonald's signed a seven-year deal with Disney Pixar to promote their movies in the form of their Happy Meal toys, which proved to be wildly successful. Notable movies included Nemo, Mr. Incredibles, and Monsters, Inc. In that same year, the company purchased a minor stake in the fast food restaurant that we know so well today by the name of Chipotle Mexican Grill. It also invested in many other companies including Aroma Cafe, which was a UK coffee shop which had over 23 locations at the time. It also invested in Donato's Pizza, which was a Midwestern chain of 143 pizza shops located in Columbus, Ohio. The acquisition spree did not stop there. Now moving on to the 2000s. In the early 2000s, now owning over 25,000 locations worldwide, McDonald's made its biggest acquisition to date by purchasing a restaurant by the name of Boston Market for over $173 million. In 2001, McDonald's was sued for using beef extract and vegetable oil to cook their fries. They were sued because the claim made by the plaintiffs was that the fries were cooked entirely in vegetable oil. This lawsuit was settled after a year in 2002 with McDonald's agreeing to pay $10 million to groups that promoted vegetarianism. Around the same time, McDonald's was under the spotlight by many as being described as the most popular place, but wait for it, to have unhealthy food. As a result, McDonald's pivoted with their menu items in a new direction including healthy and low calorie items such as wraps and salads and even cooking their fries now using a healthier oil. The early 2000s saw declining sales due to all the negative publicity McDonald's received. In 2002, the company reported its first ever quarter loss including the closing of more than 700 restaurants. Even James Cantalupo, which was the CEO of McDonald's at the time, stepped down. McDonald's needed to revive its growth, so it steered towards a different path. In 2003, McDonald's started a global marketing campaign which promoted a healthier and higher quality image. The campaign was labeled, I'm loving it. It was a success and coupled with new design changes to their stores, sales for the company began growing again. McDonald's began downsizing its other ventures that it had invested in including Donato's Pizza and Chipotle in order to focus on its core business. I mean, before we go any further, it's crazy to think that Chipotle 
was actually almost entirely owned by McDonald's. At one point, McDonald's owned 90% of it. Back to the core business. In 2004, they continued to open more stores and build up their existing stores to more profitable sales. They began paying down large debts and issuing dividends to its shareholders. Menus were simplified, recipes were healthier, and nutrition labels were now available on all packaging of their foods. In 2006, the major redesigns began rolling out featuring dining tables for families to enjoy their time for longer periods and countertops for people that were in a hurry. Franchisees were obviously not happy about this change because it would be costly to implement and it would affect their profits. However, corporate McDonald's has always believed in consistency being the key driver to building its brand. I mean, it proved it once again by beginning a major promotional partnership with 20th Century Fox. In 2011, McDonald's built its biggest restaurant to date. It was constructed specifically for the London 2012 Olympics, featuring over 1,500 seats with over 470 staff employed. In 2012, the company reported an all-time high of $27 billion in sales. Fast forward to today, McDonald's has over 37,000 locations spread across 120 countries. It employs over 375,000 people, it generates billions of dollars in sales annually, and it serves 69 million customers daily. As of now, it's been operating for more than 75 years, and McDonald's continues to prove that it is a sustainable business, a profitable business, and a business that's focused around customers more than anything else. Thank you all for listening to my first episode of the podcast, Ordinary Superheroes. If you enjoyed listening, please give it a five-star rating and share it with as many people as you possibly can. It really helps a ton, especially with the fact that I'm just starting out. This episode is brought to you by Tax Mobile Canada, the most affordable and flexible tax preparation service available in Canada today. Visit TaxMobileCanada.com today to schedule your free consultation. The next episode is going to cover the story of Amazon and its founder, Jeff Bezos. Have yourselves a great week, and I can't wait to see you all in the next episode.